You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Of where innovation, money, and power collide in Silicon Valley and beyond. This is Bloomberg Technology with Caroline Hyde and Ed Ludlow. I'm Caroline Hyde at Bloomberg's World Headquarters in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. This is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up, we'll look at the implications of Trump's indictment on his ability to communicate to his own followers through the Truth Social app. We discuss with Galen Stocking of the Pew Research Center. Plus, we'll discuss the escalating technology war between the US and China as Japan joins the United States and Netherlands in restricting exports of chip-making gear to China. And we'll get a read on the red-hot race for EV dominance with Kia Motors COO Steve Center. All that and so much more coming up. But we return to those markets. We return to some of that news around Japan joining the US, the Netherlands, in terms of impacting and restricting the exports of chip industry over to China. And it's impacting the stocks. I'm looking that down by 2.2%. 2% at the moment. NASDAQ off of its highs that we've been seeing of late, off a one and a quarter percent today. We're look, basically seeing risk aversion in the market today. We're worried about banks. We're worried about economic data pointing towards a U.S. recession. We're therefore seeing a flight to safety. U.S. government bonds doing well. We're seeing the yields down 11 basis points on the two-year. Let's move it on because actually what's managed to withstand some of the turbulence in the stock market has been Bitcoin. It is off just slightly today, only by a quarter of a percent, though, over the last three trading days. We're basically stopping out at 28,000, Ed. Some great reporting coming on the Bloomberg all about that, but I know you're going to dig into some of the micro data. Yeah, look, we kind of really risk off. There's a lot of positive headlines on the Bloomberg, but not supporting individual stocks. Microsoft and Palantir, for example, both firmly lower, but they've expanded their cloud partnership, and that was actually boosting Palantir in particular pre-market. It has not held on to those games. C3AI, a name we increasingly track, had its worst session ever 24 hours ago, on track for its worst two-day drop ever as well. Not a lot of support in that AI space. And I just put Zscaler there, because as part of that risk-off mode, you look at some of the worst performers on the NASDAQ 100, higher multiple software names really getting hit. There is an emphasis right now on stocks relating to conservative social media platforms. We've been talking about this for a number of days. Digital world acquisition, the SPAC that's due to take true social uh, public is still continuing to slide down another 5%. Rumble also down 6.3%. Very short-lived feel-good around those conservative social media names, Caroline, when the, the news cycle around Trump started. We've given up those games and we're continuing to slide. And we are going to dig into exactly 
exactly those social media names in a moment. Let's turn towards Donald Trump's indictment. The former president, of course, saying it's all political. But District Attorney Alvin Bragg says Trump engaged in a so-called catch-and-kill scheme. That is a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. This fake case was brought only to interfere with the upcoming 2024 election, and it should be dropped immediately, immediately. With us to wrap it all up, as well as some of those tech angles, a social media perspective, Bloomberg's Kriti Gupta, and extraordinary day, of course, Kriti, talk to us a little bit about what indeed you're seeing after the impact, I mean, it was historical in many ways. It was historical in many ways. The potential first criminal conviction to any American president in history. It's a massive deal. Is it going to disqualify him from president even if it is a criminal conviction? The answer is simply no, because there are other cases uh, that could potentially do that. Things like treason, things like uh, moving some of those classified documents from Washington, D.C. to Mar-a-Lago. But today, the conviction that we heard, or excuse me, the arraignment that we saw yesterday, it's really interesting the way that it's really turned into kind of of banter for his campaign for 2024, and that's going to be the crucial takeaway here. At what point do the legal allegations actually rally his base? And social media is a really big part of that. A great example is his comments when he went back to Mar-a-Lago last evening at 8.15 p.m. Eastern. He specifically called out the likes of Twitter, Meta, which is interesting because it's only recently that he's been allowed back on to those platforms. Critty, both the judge in the arraignment and the district attorney had something to say about the influence and impact of social media and Trump's use of it. What did they say? Yeah, it's been a very careful kind of maneuvering in how this case is handled. A mugshot, for example, is pretty typical when you do have an arraignment like this. This time around, though, the mugshot did not happen for the reason of its potential use as a campaign ploy. That is something to keep in mind. The prosecutor did outright say, look, President Trump has a massive base. He has a lot of influence. Can this? Uh, can there be some sort of court order for President Trump to not use social media when it comes to the developments of this particular case? Now, the judge, on the other hand, saying, no, we're not going to put that court order, but we are going to discourage that. Whether or not that changes at that next hearing, December 4th, is going to be the real story there. But for now, all's fair and game uh, when it comes to social media. All right, Bloomberg's Critic Gupta, thank you. Let's stick with it. More on Trump and True Social and bringing Galen Stocking, a senior computational social scientist for the Pew Research Center. You published this report in November about the numbers behind True Social, its use at that time. What has your read been on how the arraignment of former President Trump has driven traffic to those more conservative social platforms? Well, we don't have any numbers on uh, that have been updated since last year when we published this uh, data. But uh, what we have seen uh, reported elsewhere, including New York Times, is that there has been increased traffic to uh, True Social since the news of the indictment came out. The impact of these more right-leaning social media offerings that we saw all at once sort of come to an already crowded space. Your report in October not only highlighted Truth Social, but you went into BitChute, Gab, Getter, Parler, Rumble, Telegram. How prevalent is the use or was the use back in that report of October 2022? And are they impactful in terms of where people get their news? So 6% 
uh, use any of the seven social media sites that we were looking at uh, as of May 2022, uh, including Truth Social. Truth Social uh, was used by 2% of U.S. adults. And this was after just three months of it actually being released to the public. So it was released to the public in February of 2022. We conducted this survey in uh, May of 2022. And what we found was that people actually believe that they are uh, being informed when they use these sites. Uh, 56% of the users of any of these sites um, say that staying informed is a major reason to use them. Most of what their news, the news that they're getting there is government politics news, according to these users. And about half of them are saying that they are seeing news there that they wouldn't see um, somewhere else. So uh, this, these are becoming crucial parts of the uh, media diet for uh, many Americans. When you say many, though, put it into context versus Facebook versus Twitter. Sure. Uh, we found 2% used uh, True Social as uh, a source for news. Um, that is, of course, much, much lower than uh, many other platforms. Uh, 31% uh, as of summer of 2002 used Facebook for news. 25% used YouTube. Uh, and then uh, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok were all in the teens. And what's interesting, Ed, is how important some of these mainstays, the Facebooks, the right. Twitters, were for President Trump in his previous election campaigns. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Galen, Caroline and I have been tracking the reinstatement of former President Trump to platforms like Twitter and Meta. In that arraignment proceedings, the judge cited irresponsible social media posts. What is the concern to your mind from the judge about those posts? Well, I can't speak to anything, uh, any concerns that the judge in particular might have had. But what I can uh, point you to is, is how much he's actually using these other platforms just since he's been reinstated. Uh, he was reinstated on Twitter, I think, a few months ago now. He has not tweeted since then. Uh, reinstated on YouTube a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he has posted one video. Uh, and on Facebook, he, he and his campaign is using that uh, platform. In fact, last night when he gave his uh, speech at Mar-a-Lago, uh, Links to that speech were posted on True Social and on Facebook and on Rumble, but not to any of those other two platforms. We don't know what he will do in the future, uh, but it, um, it is clear that he has been using True Social quite frequently to express his views. I guess that you know the point, Carolina, pointing out was that social media was the modus operandi by which Trump—not the only one, but by which Trump communicated with his base, right? He's not on Twitter or, or, or Facebook, but do you see the messaging that he's putting on True Social permeate those platforms? So when we looked in, in May of 2022 at uh, these platforms, one of the things that we looked at was what is happening outside of just Donald Trump on True Social. We wanted to see what other kinds of accounts were saying and what they were doing and how they were presenting themselves. So we looked at 200 of the most followed accounts on True Social uh, in June of 2022. And one of the things we looked at was their profile photos, their banners, their whole profile page. How are they presenting themselves? And we found that about half of them uh, were outright saying that they were conservative or Republican or pro-Trump. So they're projecting this uh, air of uh, right-leaning um, attitude on the platform itself. Uh, others had uh, were projecting a religious identity, um, a message of patriotism. And when we connected that back to the survey, we found uh, that people tended to say that they had found a sense of community on the sites that they were using, looking more broadly at all these sites, uh, to the point that 
that uh, 65% of uh, users of any of these sites said that they had found a community of people who uh, shared their views on those platforms. Because Truth Social says it's non-partisan and that of course it's all about free speech. Is it what it is it doing that? Is it non-partisan? Is it allowing free speech? So it's difficult to do a full summary of everything that True Social um, does or doesn't do. Uh, it does, as you um, as you mentioned, say that it is a nonpartisan uh, site. There have been reports of uh, True Social banning users or banning posts that have um, partisan messages that are, are the people disagree with. Uh, but it's difficult to tell the extent to which uh, this is happening um, overall. Galen, we thank you for bringing us the research. Galen Stocking of the Pew Research Center. Sticking with social media, according to estimates by SimilarWeb, which analyzes internet traffic, Twitter is struggling to sell users on its new subscription product, Twitter Blue. Only 116,000 people signed up for the service of 2.6 million people who actually visited Twitter Blue's sales page on the web in March. Now, more than 500 million people use Twitter on a monthly basis, Musk said, and Twitter's advertising revenue has declined by half between October and March. He tweeted that last month. Now, Taiwan's president is in Los Angeles today, meeting with a bipartisan group of U.S. lawmakers led by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Now, it's the first time a Taiwanese leader will meet with a House Speaker in the U.S. since the U.S. recognized diplomatic relations with China more than four decades ago. China said it would closely monitor the situation. And tomorrow in San Francisco, the group will have lunch with executives from Google, Microsoft, Palantir, even Apple CEO Tim Cook. This, of course, is as trade tensions continue to ramp up between developed nations and China. Japan's just decided to join the US and Netherlands in restricting exports of chip-making gear to China. Will this give the Allies a powerful leg up in the escalating tech war? We're going to discuss it all with Bloomberg's Ian King. And this tit-for-tat keeps continuing, but how integral are some of the players in Japan, like, for example, to China? Yeah, no, they're, they're very important parts of, of the food chain. Tokyo Electron is obviously the standout. Um, it's a company that's broadly similar to applied materials here in the U.S. Very important machinery that you absolutely have to have if you want to make a leading-edge production line for semiconductors. But Japan also is home to a number of other companies which also do niche but very important things, materials, testing, that kind of thing as well. So this is definitely a, a step forward in what the Biden administration has been hoping to achieve. How far a step and how big a step, that's kind of open to interpretation. The story gives a sense of how global the supply chain for semiconductors is, but we're talking about a specific technology, which is hardware that manufactures the chips, not the chips themselves. 100%. I mean, Yes, it is diverse. Yes, it is over the world, all over the world. But there are basically five or six companies, ASML in the Netherlands, three companies here, including Applied Materials, and a couple in Japan. And you need their machines. You need access to their technology. If you don't have that, you're done. You can't be a modern semiconductor producer. How does China respond, therefore? Do they have companies of their own that are able to develop technology at a similar level? Short term, absolutely not. Not even close. Long term, the argument from those who oppose this kind of rule is, look, we're going to push them further towards accelerating their own efforts to cut us out. Our ability to influence them on a friendly basis is going to go away. Ian, 
We've actually seen an impact on US chip makers today as well. We've seen the SOX index down. We've seen some impacts on NVIDIA, for example. Is this something that we're going to see really curtailing the business models, the ongoing revenue streams for these sorts of companies? I mean, it's already happened. You're absolutely right. This is a, an ongoing sort of concern, an ongoing cloud. And describe it how you want, but this is something that people have to be conscious of, this idea of decoupling. China is the biggest market for semiconductors. It was on its way to being the biggest market for semiconductor capital equipment. If you are a shareholder of these companies, whether they're European, whether they're North American, you want your company to do business there. If they can't, then that's a problem. And I know you sort of touched on it with Ed a moment ago, but it sets China back how far, how long? Can we make some sort of view on whether this has indeed, as we set this whole conversation up, given the US and its allies a leg up? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a very difficult question to answer. I think most people would say, look, you cut them off from our technology, from the West technology, and we're talking years before they can even get to parity, maybe never. But the, the, the flip side of that is, though, is that you know, chip companies here are saying, actually, if you look at the, the fine print, what the Japanese are doing and what the Dutch are doing is nowhere near as severe as what we're doing. So unless we have this consensus, this similar level of action, actually, we're not really doing what we're supposed to be doing. So there's a bit of a debate there as to how effective these rules are going to be. All right, thanks to Bloomberg's Ian King on the chip beat. Now, coming up, Apple actually trying to reduce its dependence on China for its iPhone manufacturing. More on that next. Take a look at Apple shares really quickly and how we're trading. A lot of analysis of how Apple will fare politically, US-China, but also supply chain rejig. We're down almost 2%, though, in the session in this risk-off mode. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com.
Time now for Talking Tech, starting with Amazon and Microsoft, whose cloud services could face a full-blown antitrust probe over in the UK. That's after the country's digital regulator, Ofcom, says it found evidence that the firms may be abusing their market power, making it basically hard for people to switch or use multiple cloud suppliers. Ofcom says it's particularly concerned about the US tech firms because of their dominant position. Here's another big tech company under scrutiny, Meta. That's after Italy's competition authority opened a probe against its over-allegations and may have exploited its bargaining power while negotiating with the country's main artists' rights organisation. The watchdog also says, look, Meta may have withheld information needed to carry out negotiations. And over to Asia, where Foxconn, the world's largest maker of Apple devices, increased revenue year on year, but only by 4% last quarter, underscoring how fears of a recession is really crimping demand for iPhones and other consumer electronics. Now, the reported revenue of $48 billion, well, it's down steeply even from the previous three months when a COVID outbreak prompted protests at its main facility in central China, disrupting iPhone production basically for weeks, Ed, and we're going to dig in more. Yeah, so Foxconn and Apple are those two tech names re-examining their electronic supply chain, which is centred on China. Let's dive deeper into all things Apple and how it's laying the foundation to make iPhones elsewhere, which was the topic of a Business Week piece today. Bloomberg Business Week's Joshua Brustein here with more. There was a very public visit by Tim Cook to China recently. What sources are telling us, Josh, is that at the same time, executives are trying to move away from China. What's happening? Yeah, absolutely. You see Cook and Apple doing a sort of delicate dance here where they're trying to reassure China, um, a very important partner, that everything is okay, while also trying to make sure that they are less reliant on China. We saw the big disruptions late last year at the Foxconn plant in iPhone City, and they're building up capacity in other countries so that they are less vulnerable to um, geographic disruptions in the future. Joshua, can you tell us a little bit about where, which countries, where does the supply chain shift? Yeah, absolutely. So for iPhones, which is the majority of, of their production, that is shifting primarily to India. Mm. This has been happening for about five years, but it's really ramped up over the last year or so. And the next iPhone generation could be the first time we see the first batch of iPhones leaving both from China and India at the same time. Um, for Mac production, that's happening in Southeast Asia um, as well, Malaysia, and also Vietnam. A little bit in Ireland, but for the more less complex kind of uh, put together? Yeah, exactly. For some, for some Mac products, that will happen in Ireland, but primarily uh, the focus there is on Southeast Asia. Josh, I, I guess the question goes to which products and, and what rationale, right? When the second wave of COVID hit mainland China, it became apparent that the higher-end pro models, the production of them was concentrated in Zhengzhou. A lot of our reporting seems to suggest that this is political as well in terms of what's going on between the US and China. Which is it? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's two things going on um, simultaneously right now. You do have just the inherent vulnerability of concentrating such an important production capacity in one geographic area. Um, you know, if there's a disruption due to COVID and the only place you make uh, these phones there's in one area and they're suffering from COVID, then you really run into a problem. But also, it's, it's really impossible to ignore the intention between the United States and China on all sorts of areas. And I think Apple is looking to avoid some of that by having a, a fallback plan if something does happen. It's a great read. Go get your business week. Joshua Brewstein, we thank you so much for it. This is an incredibly disruptive new technology. All of the 
Leading AI labs know they're creating something dangerous, but none of them really want to stop it. Welcome back to Bloomberg Technology. I'm Caroline Hyde in New York. And I'm Ed Ludlow in San Francisco. The ChatGPT revolution, Caro, could open the door to a four-day week by providing a major productivity boost for many jobs. That's according to Nobel Prize-winning labor economist Christopher Pissarides, who says the labor market can adapt quickly enough to AI-backed chatbots, tampering down concerns that rapid advances in tech could bring mass job layoffs. And I don't know if you saw this one, but President Biden tweeting about AI overnight. I was wondering, Caro, when the White House would weigh in on this, as often is the case. And here comes the split. We have the pro side, in fact, the Nobel Prize winning economist saying, look, this could be really additive to our productivity. Yes, there are some concerns, and President Biden really highlighting them there, but we all continue to daily discuss how much are we really thinking yes. about the ethics involved? How much are we thinking about the negative consequences as well as the positive consequences, Ed? Professor Parasides' thoughts in line with what Goldman said last month, yeah. right? 300 million global jobs at risk, but plus 7% annual contribution to global GDP potentially from generative AI. So, you know, there's concern, but there's hope. So let's bring in Richard Socher for more. He's the CEO and founder of the AI search engine U.com. He also serves as the chief scientist and EVP at Salesforce and was the CEO and CTO of AI startup Metamind before that. You were not one of the signatories to the pause petition last week, but you operate a generative AI search engine. Are you one of those that thinks uh, a pause is helpful or just adds to the noise? I don't think a pause is feasible. Uh, it's hard to tell people, like, don't think about this. Don't, don't work uh, on this abstract general purpose technology. Uh, I do think it is important for lawmakers to think about how to deal with a changing job landscape. Uh, I do think it'll make sense for us to regulate this technology as it gets applied in specific areas, uh, such as military, healthcare, transportation, and so on regulation makes sense there. But it's kind of like trying to regulate the chipsets and say this chip is not allowed to make this kind of computation or compute mm. this function. It's just very hard right. to do that versus when you apply chips and put them into a weapon, there is actual regulation of how that weapon should be used. Uh, and I'm not using weapons uh, because I think this is weapons-grade technology. I think I'm just using that in that it's a general purpose technology. It's more like a hammer or the internet. And on the internet, you can share illegal and horrific content, but we don't make the entire internet illegal and say, hey, how about we slow down yeah. internet pipe? Um, instead, we say, no, if, if you share this particular kind of content, uh, like child pornography or like murder videos and things like that, like we make that illegal and that makes a lot of sense. Richard, we were just looking at that exact tweet, basically, that you put out there saying regulate it, regulate it in a, in a thoughtful manner here. It's interesting, you seem to be aligning in some ways with what well, I think of what's been being put out by other professors. I'm thinking particularly of Emily Bender, the Stochastic Parrots report, where she's saying sometimes when you're putting too much thought around the intelligence of artificial intelligence, you're almost adding to the hype here. That's exactly right. I feel like there's a whole industry now of uh, what I, ca I call them anti-hype hypers. Uh, and by them saying, oh, wow, this is so omnipotent, so dangerous, uh, we have to regulate it. Honestly, it probably makes some people think, wow, well, then I really got to have it. Like countries, 
uh, certain organizations uh, where values aren't really important to them. Uh, at the same time, I think we're anthropomorphizing a lot this technology, thinking it has its own thoughts and things like that. Um, it is incredibly powerful. The impact on jobs is real, but it doesn't have a super intelligence that will have a mind of its own. It really yeah. just predicts the next word uh, because that's what you're asking it to do. It will. It has no capability currently to to say, oh, I just don't want to predict next words anymore. I want to just have my own thoughts and do my own thing. It's interesting, of course. There's also this narrative, Ed, that some that were signing the petition for a pause, perhaps were just a bit behind the curve in the application exactly. of their own AI technology. But, Ed, you've been playing with you.com in particular. Yeah, you know, I, I use ChatGPT, I use Bard by Google, Richard. I have been using you.com, very similar products. And the question I put to you, because you actually seem to be taking a somewhat objective view on this, is, is whether this is just sour grapes from an industry trying to catch up with a clear leader in open AI. I do think so. Uh, I, I do think some folks trying to slow it down probably say, oh, it'll be nice if we have some time to catch up to this whole situation. Uh, we were actually at U.com the first uh, to, instead of trying to regulate uh, the technology or, says, uh, or say this is impossible to use for a search engine, we just try to make it better. For instance, they hallucinated a lot. Um, and so now we added the capability of these LMs to have citations and to stick closer to the sources that they find online. Uh, we launched that in December last year, and OpenAI and others uh, like um, Bing uh, have copied that uh, capability now. Uh, and, and I think it makes uh, the whole large language model space better uh, and more useful for a search engine. Yes. Caroline, JP Morgan out with that note this morning, right? Calling Microsoft a clear early leader in the generative AI space, its partnership with OpenAI. Big names moved early here, didn't they? Yeah, and Richard, you can speak to this. You've worked at big names. You worked at Salesforce. You now got your own startup. Is it right? Is OpenAI sucking all the oxygen out of the room when it shouldn't be? How much do we need to work to think of smaller players? And, and are the bigger players really marching ahead here? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, Microsoft had has its monopoly days uh, and used that monopoly power a lot in the past. And they're certainly applying that playbook now to, you know, an almost subsidiary uh, of Microsoft, uh, you know, as they own 50% of OpenAI. And, and it is, it can be tough. You know, we, we launched certain capabilities like LMs with citations, then uh, Microsoft uh, later on copied that feature uh, they're now trying to end all the little competition and search engines that they used to want to support uh, in their mm. uh, struggle against Google. Now they say, oh, it seems like we would be able to do this ourselves. So they increase the prices by 10 or even 50x, uh, making it not feasible anymore to partner with them. So there is definitely uh, that attempt uh, from Microsoft to try to get back to this monopoly power. Interesting. And of course, I'm sure Microsoft will go to for comment as to whether they feel that they're acting in an anti-competitive manner. But Richard, what do you do at U.com to continue to be relevant in the space, to continue to grow? Yeah, we've been very much ahead uh, of, of everyone when we launched this uh, large language model chat search engine uh, in December last year. The field moved so quickly, uh, it didn't last very long. When we became the first to have multimodal outputs uh, in these chat models, so if you ask the chat model, oh, what's the stock price of Salesforce? 
instead of making up a bunch of numbers, which what most is what most of these models would do, uh, we just show you a stock ticker. So the outputs uh, can have different modalities, can be a table, can be a graph, can be an image, can be an interactive element. Uh, so we essentially introduce the idea of an app store to a search engine. Uh, and that allows yes. uh, the chat model to be a lot more powerful and an actual replacement uh, to Google. So we're trying to merge the best ideas of a traditional search engine with the ChatGPT-like capabilities of summarize this whole website for me, write me an entire HTML website or a longer piece of code and all of these things. And we'll continue to innovate and uh, some more exciting things are in the pipeline. Well, continue to innovate. Richard, the Bloomberg Opinion Editorial Board have an opinion piece out today saying that an AI pause would be a disaster for innovation. You, you seem to agree with that argument. My question is, what are you doing to innovate? How busy are you going out there trying to get new checks from your backers to continue the research, to continue the development? Yeah, I, I do think it's just impossible to regulate. It's like saying, hey, um, these models need the internet, so let's make the internet a little bit slower. Or these models need chipsets. How about we make chips a little bit slower uh, so that we slow this all down because some of these chips could be used uh, to do bad things. It's just not even feasible. Uh, not every country would participate. And, and it's just, uh, it doesn't even make sense because the technology can be used for so many good things. We've trained the same technology that you see for textual chat in natural language English. Um, we used that technology back in my Salesforce days to train uh, on protein generation. So we can yes. find new cures for cancer, uh, we can find new cures for, for viruses and things like that. This technology is so general purpose, it can do a lot of amazing things. And to say, let's slow it down at the very basic layer just doesn't make sense. When you apply it to medicine and other areas, yes. then of course, you know, FDA needs to do this. Richard, does you.com survive in a world where Google's Bard and Microsoft through Bing are offering exactly the same thing? Does the plucky, plucky player survive? <laughs> we think so. Uh, there have been multiple smaller search engines that are worth billions of dollars already, like DuckDuckGo, um, and people still care about privacy. And to be honest, uh, uh, Google's Bard and Microsoft's Bing have not yet caught up uh, with everything that we do. Uh, and I think we, we have a shot. Great to have some time with you. Great conversation, Richard Social. We thank you. You.com CEO. Meanwhile, coming up. We'll talk a little bit more about funding as Ed was just getting to it. Why Stripe, one of the world's most valuable startups, is seeing a payments volume slowdown? More on that and more in our VC roundup. That's next. First, let's get back to some of the banking concerns that are swirling today and shine a light on the all-important tech player, First Republic. It's up by another 2.5% as we once again worry about some of the deposits at these smaller lenders. From New York and San Francisco, this is Bloomberg. But when you look at how the economy is evolving, how the technology of the economy is evolving, right, we're still seeing increasing demand for more data centers because of more internet traffic, because of more sensors on cars, because of generative AI, right? So companies like NVIDIA, a, a more diversified company like a Broadcom is a good uh, position for clients. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. 
Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash GreenFestival. All right, time for the VC roundup. Stripe says that growth in payments volume slowed last year, even as it helped more large businesses and clients handle payments over the internet. The payments company says volume climbed 26% in 2022, but that's compared with 60% growth in 2021 when Stripe and many of its rivals saw rapid growth as consumers did more shopping online during the pandemic. Over to Saudi Arabia's To You, a startup that provides a range of services from ride hailing to food delivery. It's hired Moelis and Co. to help raise funds to fuel the super app's growth. Talks for the financing round are at an early stage and the target amount is still being firmed up, according to sources. Caroline. Let's talk about another key payment startup, Chipper Cash, the African cross-border payments platform, has not been immune from the bank cri- banking crisis and, in fact, the mass layoffs hitting Silicon Valley this year. The company's co-founder and CEO spoke with Bloomberg about where they go from here. We're not immune to the idea that even we've had to become a bit more capital efficient. I mentioned earlier, we had to tighten our belts in a couple of areas because I think even as a business, we've also had to rethink and I've asked my entire team and and, and everyone in the company to think about every single expense of the business. Think about it again and deeply. Do we need to expend money in that area? Where can we be more efficient? Do you see more cost cutting um, coming in the near future for Chipper? Because I know um, you, like many other tech companies, you've had to lay off a a number of a lot of your workforce. I mean, do you see that continuing on for more months? We don't foresee additional layoffs with Chipper specifically. Um, And to give some more context there, you know, we came out of a period where we, you know, hired over 250 people in a space of, you know, 18 months. Uh, we grew to almost 500 people globally and, you know, including acquiring another company. Um, and uh, that rate of growth, um, just by function of how fast it's happening, builds in some inefficiencies. Uh, and so for us, part of making sure that we're being as efficient as possible has meant revisiting every single aspect of the organization and seeing where can we be as efficient as possible. Chipper Cash co-founder and CEO Hamam Sirun Jogi there. Some of the most iconic and beloved characters in the gaming universe are coming to a big screen near you. But if you live in Japan, 
you're gonna have to wait. The Super Mario film premiering internationally today won't feature in Japanese theaters for another three weeks or so. So why do fans in the birthplace of Super Mario and the home base of its creator Nintendo have to wait? The straightforward answer is that Japan will be up, will be the toughest audience to please. Yes, the rest of the world has diehard fans, but no country, Caroline, has the same concentration of Mario followers than Japan does. Oh, gotta know your audience. Great one. Meanwhile, let's talk about EVs a little bit. Kia today is unveiling its all-electric EV9 SUV. It's a flagship of the company's Plan S strategy, basically to spearhead its transition to EVs and to mobility solutions by 2025. Let's talk about all of it. With Steve Sentis, Kia Executive Vice President and COO. And Steve, the EV9, the SUV, who is it wanting to compete with? Right now, it isn't going to compete with anyone because it has clear space at the top of the SUV market. Uh, perhaps uh, in the coming years, some other vehicles such as Chevy Blazer uh, might be a competitor. But this is a uh, full-size, three-row uh, SUV, a six or seven passenger with a targeted 300-mile range. And there isn't right. anything about that on the market right now. Steve, the biggest question for you guys, I suppose, is pricing. You know, lots of models coming online here in North America. Everyone has their eyes set on Tesla. So how do you price that upcoming EV to make it competitive? Good question. Well, Kia has uh, added a lot of uh, new vehicles to the line in the past few years. And Telluride has single-handedly changed the uh, brand. And we've been attracting uh, newer customers, younger, better educated, much wealthier that are purchasing a car well into the $60,000 range. And uh, that's paved the way for EV9. So I would say while we're not uh, ready to announce pricing, it will be priced beginning with the high end of Telluride and then upward from there depending on packages and features. So Steve, we've got to put you on the spot about the IRA then, the Inflation mm -hmm. Reduction Act. Do you design the vehicle and price the vehicle so that it is caught within the parameters of that legislation? Um, no. You have to design for the market. Um, and, and you don't make long-term long decisions based on short-term uh, taxation policies. And uh, the IRA uh, is a disruptive uh, type of legislation where auto companies were moving along based on existing set of rules and the government changed them all of a sudden. As an example, we had already announced our 100 motor group meta plant in Georgia. So we're building a battery factory and a vehicle assembly factory, factory there as well. And that was before IRA was announced. So we're moving forward with plans for electrification based on what the market demands. Let's talk about the market. And in fact, let's talk about competition a little bit more, Steve. We actually went to our audience and asked them about Tesla in particular and perhaps whether in this current environment it's losing market share or whether it's an impact of slowing economy that perhaps is curtailing the demand for Teslas at the moment. Or in fact, 39% of the audience thought that demand for Tesla's EVs are still full on. Do you think they are or do you think that you're gaining market share from the likes of Tesla? Yeah, well, there's two things that are happening. Um, you have everyone else getting in the game right now. So the, the number of choices for electric vehicles is expanding. The acceptance of electric vehicles with the variety 
is expanding. So you may be conquesting Tesla. They're difficult to conquest from, but we're attracting customers from old brands now, and these are people that are considering their first EV or their first EV SUV in the case of EV6 or EV9. So the market's growing. So not everyone's coming from Tesla. Steve, what's the secret sauce for Kia? What, what is it that you think you have an advantage in when you're going up, not just against Tesla, but the US OEMs who are bringing all these models online? What are you going to do to win? Well, we're a bit of a disruptor brand. Kia is uh, 30 years old, and we started out with uh, small internal combustion cars. We're relatively newer to larger SUVs, and Telluride's maybe only four years on the market. So perhaps our secret sauce is our innovative technology, our willingness to take risks, and also our customer focus and developing products that are spot on for what customers are looking for in the next Right. Steve Center, Kia Motors, thank you for your time. Now, Caroline, there was a time where Tesla was the only game in town, but mm. you and I are learning this week that's not true anymore. 20,000 orders in the first quarter going to the likes of GM, 10,000 going right. to Ford, Kia. I mean, everywhere you look, there's hybrids, there's Toyota we haven't discussed yet. A lot more to come in the numbers difficult economic outlook for the rest of this year. Well, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology, though, Karen. And you do not want to forget to check out our podcast. You can find it on the terminal. You can go online on Apple, on Spotify, on iHeart, wherever you like to consume your audio. From New York, from San Francisco, wish you a wonderful rest of the day. This is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.